Hello and welcome to this special episode of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The tragedy of physician-assisted suicide. The practices of euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide are on the rise. We speak with Catholic physician and psychiatrist, Dr. Aaron Cariotti, who explains why these methods are not only morally wrong, but are also bad medicine. International laws. When it comes to laws concerning the problem of physician-assisted suicide, where does the United States stack up compared to other countries? We find out from a European legal expert from Alliance Defending Freedom International. Dying with dignity. Instead of cutting lives short by pulling the plug, how can we help our loved ones prepare for the next life in their precious final days? Father Thomas Petrie, president of the Dominican House of Studies, joins us with some practical tips. On this week's special episode, we're addressing a disturbing problem that's on the rise in the United States and around the world, the rise of euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. Eleven jurisdictions in the U.S. have advanced laws that allow for medical aid in dying, also known as MAID laws. Before we dive into how and why it's becoming more common for doctors to end the lives of their own patients, we turn to a seasoned medical professional for the details of what euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide are and the ways in which they can be carried out. Dr. Aaron Cariotti is the Director of Bioethics and American Democracy Program at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Dr. Cariotti, thanks for being with us. I want to start by asking if you could explain the distinction between euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. So euthanasia is when a doctor uses his or her knowledge and skills of physiology and medicine to administer a lethal dose of a drug with the intention of killing a patient to a patient. It can be voluntary, the patient can request it, or it can be involuntary where the doctor does it without the patient's request or permission. Doctor-assisted suicide is where the doctor prescribes a drug that the patient fills at a pharmacy and the patient self-administers the drug. Mm. So there is a medical distinction between those two things, but I would argue there's not really a moral distinction between those two things, because whether I directly administer a medication or whether I prescribe a medication to a patient, the, my responsibility in both of those cases is the same. I'm responsible for the outcome of that. And in both cases, the intention of the physician is to give something to the patient or to help the patient take something on their own with the intention of causing their death. And in both cases, uh, we're, the doctor is acting in a way that's directly contrary to what physicians are supposed to be doing, which is taking our knowledge and skills and placing them in the service only of health and healing, only of helping the patient to recover from illness or alleviating the patient's disability or distress due to illness, mm. but not doing so by eliminating the patient, not doing so by directly aiming at the death of the patient. Absolutely. Well said. And when it comes to physician-assisted suicide, can you walk us through how doctors could come to that decision to end the life of a human being by prescribing these drugs to them? Well, in my own state of California, this was legalized back in 2015, and there are some guardrails that were supposedly built around the law. The patient has to be diagnosed with a terminal condition. The patient has to go see the physician and basically make a request twice, spaced two weeks apart. Mm. So there are some attempts to uh, safeguard the practice against abuse, but the problem with those safeguards is that 
they really don't have any rational basis. And what we've seen in jurisdictions like Canada, in many places in the United States, where there's now a push on the part of the euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide movement to remove those safeguards, is ultimately those fences that we try to erect around the practice fall away because they have no laws, logical basis once you accept the basic premise that doctors can kill their patients or right. can give things to their patients to allow the patients to kill themselves. Because at that point, you're basically asking the physician to make an arbitrary judgment about which lives are worth living and which lives are not worth living, or to defer to the patient's judgment in that regard. So many places, you know, patients are basically saying, well, I don't have a terminal illness, I have a chronic illness, but that's causing me maybe more suffering than the terminal illness, because the person who's going to die in three months only has to suffer for three months, whereas I'm going to have to suffer from this pain condition or this chronic disability for many years. So, you know, under this law, you're basically treating me unfairly. And many courts and many legislatures have accepted that line of reasoning. So we see this basically expansion of assisted suicide and euthanasia from a very narrowly defined uh, population that initially maybe is easier to sell to people. And eventually you get to the point, like we see now in Canada, where euthanasia is administered simply for people who are, quote unquote, tired of life. Mm. And Dr. Cariotti, many people know you for the work that you did to expose what was going on in the medical field during COVID. You did extensive research surrounding COVID-19 and its effect on the American population. Can you speak about how people who were sick with COVID, specifically the elderly, were treated at that time? And I'm curious, was physician-assisted suicide pushed on these people? So very tragically, there were cases in the hospital where people were placed on ventilators prematurely, not because that was going to be helpful to patients, but as a failed attempt to control the spread of the virus and protect doctors and nurses from contagion. We now know that that ended up harming a lot of patients, killing a lot of patients. They may, may have otherwise survived. Another policy that was enacted in several states, including the state of New York, was basically in order to protect the healthcare system rather than protecting patients, we tried to free up hospital beds by discharging COVID patients back to nursing homes and forcing nursing homes to take patients who were infected with COVID. That was basically taking the very highest risk population, which is elderly patients, and exposing them unnecessarily to the virus rather than doing more to protect them. So that was th those were two policies that I would argue we're not directly um, intended to cause the death of patients the way euthanasia or an assisted suicide policy might be, but basically had that effect because in, in a similar way to what happens with euthanasia, we made the decision instead of placing all of our resources at the service of trying to protect the most vulnerable, we said, we're gonna protect healthcare workers or we're gonna protect a healthcare infrastructure and in the process of doing that, basically expose the people that were most vulnerable mm. to harm. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for your expertise on this, Dr. Aaron Cariotti. Appreciate you joining the show. Thanks, Prudence. So how does the U.S. stack up to other nations when it comes to laws that prohibit physician-assisted suicide? 
Currently, there is no federal law that bans the practice here in the states. However, in the 1997 case Washington versus Glucksburg, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that there is no such thing as a right to physician-assisted suicide in the U.S. Constitution. This left it up to the states to legislate on the issue. There are about a dozen countries that currently have made laws allowing for their people to seek aid in dying. For analysis, I'm joined now by Jean-Paul Vanderwall, who serves as legal counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom International in Europe. Jean-Paul, could you start by explaining where around the world it is legal to carry out physician-assisted suicide? It seems as if Europe and the Americas are hotspots for this at this point. Yes, thank you very much for your question. Um, indeed, I would say that um, most of the countries that went down the path of legalizing euthanasia or assisted suicide are Western countries. However, what must be stressed here, and I think you've said it well in your introduction, is that this is only a handful of countries. You mentioned a dozen. I had 15 countries in, man, in mind. It depends on, on how you count. But what is important to stress here is that the vast majority of countries worldwide uh, do not consider euthanasia or assisted suicide to, to be an option, and that they do not consider it has to be an option. They oppose the legalization of euthanasia and um, assisted suicide. But the reason um, why I, I like your question also is because it allows to highlight a trend which uh, we have been seeing here at ADF International and, and others worldwide, which is that on um, a lot of countries, particularly Western countries, pressure is being placed so as for them to legalize uh, euthanasia, which is not only worrisome as such because of what euthanasia entails, that is the, the killing of a human being, mm. it's also worrisome because every legalization of euthanasia sends out the signal that human dignity is apparently for some and not for others, that some are allowed to live and others should um, be free to, to die, should not be welcome anymore because they are older, have a, a medical condition. While we, we all know that, um, and that's also the foundation of international human uh, rights law, we all have inherent dignity and euthanasia is incompatible with that. Mm, that's excellently put. And I understand ADF International was on a case in Belgium concerning euthanasia. Can you tell us more about that case and what a decision like that could mean for other countries such as our country, the United States? Absolutely, indeed. I'm, I'm joining from um, Belgium. I'm actually a Belgian citizen myself, um, and, and I'm here in the capital of, of Europe, which is Brussels, Brussels being also the capital of, of Belgium. And um, as ADF International, indeed, we had the uh, privilege, the honor to represent uh, Tom Mortier before the European Court of Human Rights. Um, now, just to, to summarize his story, um, Tom received a phone call from the hospital uh, mentioning him that his mother had been euthanized the day before, and he was totally unaware of it. He didn't know that she had um, requested euthanasia, and, and certainly not that the doctor she had turned to would euthanize her. So we can only imagine her um, surprise. Now, um, that's, that's one aspect. He didn't know. But the other aspect, which perhaps is more scandalous, and which, which we have to know here, is that um, his mother was in a physically healthy condition. Um, she was 64 years old, a uh, 64-year-old lady, and she was euthanized merely because she was suffering from depression, and this uh, in a context whereby other uh, physicians were not convinced that she met the criteria of the Belgian euthanasia legislation. In particular, other physicians were of the opinion that her um, psychological suffering could still be somehow relieved, that she could still be treated. And nevertheless, she was euthanized by a doctor who had no known um, specialization in the field of mental health care. He's an oncologist. Yeah. And all the more um, problematic here is the fact that two months before um, 
before before being euthanized, she made um, a 2,500 euro, so that's roughly $2,000 donation to um, an organization which is uh, actively advocating for the um, the right to die um, and so-called right to die, mm -hmm. which is chaired and was founded by this um, by this same doctor. Oh, now, wow. so some from this whole set of circumstances and, and, and uh, context, not only astonishing, but properly scandalous. And so together with him, we took this court, this case before the European Court of Human Rights, denouncing the Belgian legislation, the Belgian practice and the Belgian control of um, euthanasia. And we were um, happy to, um, to, to, to obtain a decision from the court in October 2022, mm -hmm. whereby Belgium was found to be in violation of Tom's mother right to life. Belgium should have respected Tom's mother right to life. Um, and so Belgium's euthanasia legislation was found partially, at least, incompatible with the European Convention on Human Rights. Wow. And in that sense, to answer your question regarding the US situation or the situation worldwide, I can only stress that this case highlights that euthanasia um, is always, the legalize, legalizing euthanasia always leads to a slippery slope and will never be compatible with um, the right to life. Mm. That is such an astounding and devastating case. I'm, I'm grateful that you told us about it. Um, in the future, do you anticipate that more countries will decriminalize physician-assisted suicide? And we have just about 30 seconds for this last question. Yes. Well, um, as mentioned, I think there's a, a trend, and, and it's possible that euthanasia will um, be legalized more. But what we, do, what we need to realize is that wherever euthanasia is legalized, it opens the door to... Um, to even more legalization with no logical stopping point. If you just take the example of Belgium, in 20 years, we went from 235 euthanasia cases a year to more than 3,000 euthanasia cases a year. Mm -hmm. Wherever it's legalized, euthanasia actually, um, that even whether there's a demand or not, legalizing euthanasia stirs the demand and only, only leads to more euthanasia. Mm. That's a jarring statistic. Jean-Paul Van de Waal of the Alliance Defending Freedom International from Belgium, thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. With pleasure, thank you. Canada is known to have some of the most extreme laws allowing for medical aid in dying. Many dying patients in the country say they are being forced to end their own lives at the urging of medical professionals. What makes Canada's made laws even more extreme is this. In order to be eligible to receive aid in dying substances in Canada, you do not need to have been diagnosed with a fatal or terminal illness. Many Canadians have spoken out in opposition to these laws, saying that it has enabled doctors to essentially force people to be euthanized. And some people who aren't even sick are now more inclined to commit suicide. Joining me now to share more on this is Canadian Alex Schadenberg. He's the executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. Talk to me about Canada's medical aid and dying laws. How did they evolve to become so mainstream in your country? Well, it's actually evolved incredibly quick, Prudence, because we legalized uh, euthanasia under the term medical aid in dying, a term that made everyone feel better. Mm. We legalized that in June of 2016. In a very short period of time, we've gone from euthanasia, which was originally sold for exceptional purposes, to it becoming pretty mainstream. We're uh, just in February, the Quebec government announces 7% of all deaths in 2022 in Quebec were by euthanasia. So what happened is, is that there was a court case in 2019 which was never appealed, meaning it was a lower court decision that was never appealed by the government, which struck down the requirement that someone had to have a 
a terminal type condition. So the only thing remaining in the law is that you have to have an irremediable medical condition, an irremediable medical condition. So basically what it's meant is that people with disabilities are really, you know, how would you say, focused on by a law mm. that kills people. Unbelievable. 7% in Quebec. That's an outstanding number. Can you well, share it's with the world leader now, sadly? Right, right. Can you share with me some stories of the people who have sought help because they feel that they're being forced to do this, to commit suicide? What happens to these people? Well, you see, there's, there's two different points here. The one is, why are people being approved for euthanasia? And the other reason is, why are they asking for it? And this is what the issue comes down to. So they're being approved for it because they have an irremediable medical condition. And there's lots of people with irremediable medical conditions. Consider, you know, most people with a disability would then qualify to be killed under our law. What's happening, though, is that there are also many of these people are living in poverty. So there's been quite a few stories of people living in poverty who have asked for death because they're living in abject poverty, they don't have enough money to eat, etc. And they've seen then medical aid in dying, euthanasia, being killed as a way out of their desperation. So these are deaths of desperation, not deaths by freedom. These are not freedom of autonomy ide ideology type right. of deaths. Yeah. And also the issue of homelessness. Homelessness has come right into this issue in a big way because, you know, people who become homeless, uh, if they have a disability, they would qualify for medical aid in dying, and they've been seeking medical aid in dying. And then there's a whole other group of people who have been saying, I, I'm not able to get medical treatment. I've been trying to get treatment, and because of my condition, uh, I, I've been unable to get treatment, but I can be approved for medical aid in dying, and they're dying by euthanasia. There's lots of stories like this, and it's very sad. I, I just had lunch a couple weeks ago with a guy who wants euthanasia for mental illness, and we had lunch together. And uh, now our country's just delayed that until next year. So euthanasia for mental illness won't be allowed until uh, March of 2024. Mm -hmm. It should never, none of these euthanasia deaths should be allowed, but you know what I mean. Um, so this is where it's going. And then and he talks about his hopelessness. He's been mm -hmm. homeless for most of the last eight years. And these are the kind of things people are, do are doing. Yeah, it's just devastating. And Alex, euthanasia is on the rise in the U.S. too. Talk yeah. to me about the states that concern you the most and how are their policies um, impacting the United States as a whole, as a country. Right. So you have assisted suicide in the U.S., and the assisted suicide lobby is really pushing to expand it in a big way. So there's quite a few states right now. There was, there's about uh, 14 states right now that have debated an assisted suicide bill to expand it. You already have 10, uh, 10 states that have legalized assisted suicide in the U.S., including California. So the total number of uh, citizens in the U.S. who have uh, access in their state to assisted suicide is about one-third. Mm -hmm. But on top of it, uh, Vermont and Oregon, who had legalized assisted suicide already, have now removed their residency requirements. So now you have a situation where the assisted suicide lobby is pushing to make assisted suicide national. So they've set up an assisted suicide clinic in Oregon already, and there's a doctor there who's done assisted suicides of people in Texas and the East Coast and different places where it's not legal. And you're getting this massive expansion of assisted suicide through many for forces, right? One is trying to legalize it in a state, and the other place, of course, is expanding it where it's legal already. Uh, they're also wanting it to move to euthanasia. You know, the assisted suicide lobby only went for assisted suicide because Americans weren't willing to support euthanasia. Uh, euthanasia is lethal injection. Assisted suicide is the same thing, but you have to do it to yourself, meaning they give you the drugs you have to take it yourself. Right. But the intention and the outcome is all the same. Uh, but this is where it's going in the U.S. And we have to stand up against this because it's all sold on a lie. It's all about a lie. They tell you that it's all about your autonomy and your freedom. It's about your choice. 
But what it's about is giving doctors and, in some states, nurses, the right in law to cause your death, to be directly involved with causing your death. I oppose assisted suicide because I oppose killing people. I, well I oppose killing people. Right. And I think we have to recognize that if we allow more killing of people, if we continue to allow that line in the sand to be crossed, then, in fact, that affects my life directly also and your life directly also. Yes. We're all affected by this. Right, right. Alex, we have about 30 seconds left, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this final question. As you've mentioned, the, the National Catholic Register has reported that there are people in Canada who actually favor these laws, people who are seeking medical aid and dying to end their lives if they're disabled, poor, homeless. So how do you reach out to these people? How do you help them see the dignity of their lives, even when things look grim? Well, we talk to a lot of these people. We have a helpline here in Canada. And we talk to a lot of these people regularly. But the fact of it is, is most of these people are going through a normal human difficulty. They're going through a, a physical or a psychological difficulty. They're feeling that their life lacks meaning, purpose, or value. We need to be there for these people. The best way to stop ki the killing is to be the caring person in their life who tells them this is not necessary. I will be with you. I will help you. People aren't actually choosing death because they're in extreme pain. That's the rare case. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's a rare case. It's usually because... They feel their life has lost meaning, purpose, or value. These are deaths of despair. Right. Remember that. These are right. deaths of despair. But no one is alone, and you're doing a great job of showing people that, especially in some of their darkest moments. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex Shadenberg so of Thank the Euthanasia you. Prevention Coalition. Coming up, a Yale professor is calling for mass suicide in Japan for older generations. I speak out. Plus, where the Catholic Church stands on euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. More on that next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. The Japanese population is rapidly aging, and a professor at Yale has suggested mass suicide as an answer to this problem. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Yusuke Narita is an economist of Japanese descent and an assistant professor at Yale. According to the New York Times, Narita said the elderly in his country should commit mass suicide to make way for up-and-coming younger generations. He went so far as to promote, quote, mass seppuku, which used to be a common form of suicide among samurai warriors who had essentially not proven themselves worthy of living. He has since backtracked and said his comments were taken out of context, but believes that Japan could be a more influential economic and cultural world power if they were not held back by the traditions and people of the past, namely the elderly. While Japan's history includes injustices like these mass military suicides, it's important to note that Japanese culture has traditionally been marked by profound respect for the elderly. That's what makes this idea of mass suicide of the old so disrespectful. We young people should look to our ancestors and older relatives as examples of lives well lived and honor the final days of those lives. Pope Francis has also spoken out about the importance of honoring the elderly and strengthening the alliance between generations. We must pray that ideas like this don't continue to fester in our society.
The church teaches that physician-assisted suicide is an attack on innocent human life and that we must work and pray to put an end to it. The tragedy of physician-assisted suicide in our nation and the world demands our prayers. How can we help people from falling into such deep hopelessness that they would want to end their own lives? How can we help people die gracefully and raise awareness about the sacred dignity of every person, both at the beginning and end of their life? Joining me now to help answer these questions is Father Thomas Petrie of the Dominican House of Studies. Father Petrie, thank you so much for joining me. It's always good to be here, Prudence. <laughs> so throughout this episode, we've talked about physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia. What's your reaction to the fact that now 10 states and the District of Columbia have laws that legalize this? Well, it's absolutely horrific. Uh, I think people think that this is a way to die with dignity. Mm. You know, the major lobby group for this is Compassion and Choices, which uh, goes back to death with dignity and, in fact, the Hemlock Society. So they use right. this word dignity. And that's because in the United States, we tend to associate independence and freedom with human dignity. And of course, when you get older or when you have a terminal illness, we slowly lose our independence. Of course, as Christians, and as really human people, we understand that we are always dependent on others. And what those who are suffering from old age or from terminal illness um, are enduring is a loss of independence. But what they're also giving is the ability to remind us that we have to care for one another. There, it is not at all dignified to die before it is your time to die. Mm. And so we would say that death with dignity and to be have a dignified death is to have a death that you're well prepared for, uh, that you've said goodbye to your loved ones with, and uh, that you've been able to bury the hatchet, so to speak, if, mm -hmm. if possible, but mm -hmm. to grow in holiness in the process. Yeah. Father, you make a great point that these people who are close to death, they're losing independence. Some people are also losing the will to live, in a sense. What would your advice and guidance be to people who are, are feeling that doubt, sort of that despair? Well, you know, as certainly a priest and as a Christian, I would always say that all suffering can be united to the suffering of Jesus Christ, of who as God willed to allow himself to suffer and gave himself over to a lack of independence. He allowed himself to be shackled. He allowed himself to be taken. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, mm -hmm. things that no rational person would will or choose to do. And so the more we lose of our independence, the more we find ourselves losing our lives, the more we can unite them to him, and the more we find that suffering and even walking to the door of death becomes actually a path to holiness and virtue. Absolutely. Great advice. And, and Father, are there any particular saints that we can pray to on this issue? Any specific prayers? I Obviously, the most important saint here is St. Joseph, traditionally the patron of a happy death. Because, yes. I mean, if you consider at his bedside when he died, would have been the Blessed Mother and Jesus Christ himself. There is no greater death than to die with the Blessed Mother. The perfect the Lord, death. <laughs> you know, at your, at your death. And what we believe is that those who die faithful to God, that they die in a similar condition with Christ leading them. He is the door, we say. He is now the gate to eternal life. He is the door through which we pass uh, with death. So I think having a prayer to St. Joseph, praying the prayers of the church for the dying, and being mindful that as we suffer terminal illness, as we suffer old age and proceeding towards death, we are in fact not only receiving the care of the church and care of our loved ones, but actually the church says those in those people in those positions become an icon of the suffering Christ themselves. They're actually doing something for us. They're, they're becoming uh, 
suffering Christ to us so that we can take care of the Christ who suffered for us. Yes, absolutely. Father, before I let you go, are there any other reflections that you have on this? Any other advice to people who are, you know, have loved ones who might be passing away soon, what they can do to, to make that peaceful? I think always to remind those whom you love and who you're caring for that they are children of God, they are loved, and that you love them. Mm. Uh, so often people can feel, and our culture encourages this, people can feel like they're a burden uh, to their families and to their loved ones. Sure. But when we love someone, we want to take care of them, even though it can be difficult and challenging and at times troublesome. It's part of what it means to be human, to care for those who we love and to care for those who are in need. Mm. Amen. Well, this was a perfect way to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Father Thomas Petrie, President of the Dominican House of Studies. Thank you, Prudence. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.